the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Text. We're going to start in verse 10 for the context. Finally, remember this is Paul. We're on the verge of entering in the battle. This is his final call to arms. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? Whose might? Come on, say it with his might, right? There you go. In the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against material things, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, students, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. You see the repetitive nature. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, which girds the armor together, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ. And as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness of the go- given by the gospel of peace. The gospel makes us urgent. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you could extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for prayer for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the living God. What's awesome is I don't only get to evangelize you, but I get to evangelize the neighbors tonight. One of the most important things you can know in combat, in combat, is that where the head goes so goes the body. I mean, it's true. Those of you that are wrestlers, I, mean, I remember one of my coach, when I was a wrestler, which was only one year, I weighed 98 pounds in the lowest, <laughs> in the lowest weight class as a freshman. So there's hope for you little guys out there. Um, I have a wife, a child, you know, a beautiful family. You're going to be fine, all right? I have Jesus, most importantly. But one of the things that my coach would take me is you want to take control of the head because if you could do that, you could have an advantage over the rest, over your, your foe, right? Over your, compo- uh, your opponent. If you could cut off the head of the snake, the body will die, right? And so this is a really good principle of wisdom in combat. In our concealed carry class, me and Caitlin took it. She was about to pop. She was a week away from giving birth. 
and Jared Smith, our, our class instructor, he taught us that when, when we aim, when we're, when we're aiming the gun, we, we want to aim at center mass. That's where you want to aim. You want to hit as many, as many bullets right center mass, right here. But he was also telling a, a story of a criminal who was so hopped up on adrenaline and drugs, and he was in a shootout with a cop. The cop hit him over 14 times, and the guy was still firing back. Crazy. Hit him center mass 14 times until he hit him right between the eyes. Dropped him. Just like that. Kill shot. And it's true in every battle that if you aim for the head, if you take out the leader, it's another, it's a metaphor, take out the leader, the body will die. This is why assassinations in third world countries are crazy. Or what's happening in our banana republic right now, right? You go after the, the main leader and then the rest of people will, will scatter. That's the hope. Take out the leader, the body will die. Causes chaos. And our enemy knows best to do this because he himself, Satan, was subject to the head-crushing blow of Jesus Christ that he gave him 2,000 years ago. And so what Satan loves to do, he loves to attack the heads of believers and non-believers, not with bullets, not with swords, not with a fist, but with unbelief, wickedness, vileness. He attacks your minds and your thoughts with lies, with perverted thoughts, with worldliness. See, our minds are the watchtower of the soul. The watchtower is the first defense. If the enemy's coming, the person in the watchtower rings the alarm. I see the enemy coming, but if the watchtower goes down, if they take out the person that's supposed to ring the alarms, the enemy comes in and swoops in and destroys the city, destroys the body, and you're overrun before you know it. And this is why Paul in our text in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 24, is describing the spiritual unseen armor that the Lord has given to us in order to stand against unseen forces of the evil one. And one of those pieces of protection, one of those pieces of protection is a helmet. I know they're, they're being crazy. Just try to be mature. We're, we're going to lock in here, okay? A helmet, right? That's one of the pieces of armor that's... And, and notice there's no armor for the back, right? Because there's no turning back. You turn, you turn your back, you're going to die. We're fighting, we're standing. And so there's, there's six pieces of armor, and five of them have to do with protection. And the helmet is one of them. It is the helmet of what? What does it say in the text? The helmet of what? That's right. And that's our phrase tonight. Is all we're looking at is, Take the helmet of salvation. In other words, I'll be your dad for a second. Put your helmet on, right? That's, I just remember hearing that from my dad. Put your helmet on. Make sure you got your helmet if you're riding your bike. And that's the goal here. Not just the bike, but the Christian life. So tonight we're going to ask three questions. Really simple for you junior hires and high schoolers. Okay, what is it? What is the helmet? Why do we need the helmet? And three, how do we use the helmet in our daily life? Okay, what, why, and how? Got it? Parents ask you, hey, what'd you learn tonight? I learned what, why, and how about the helmet right here, all right? And under each point, I got three things, three, three answers, okay? So what is the helmet? Well, we're told in a very few words that the helmet has to do with what? The helmet of salvation, okay? So that's one part. But, but Paul, aren't you talking to believers that are already saved? So what is this? 
helmet of salvation. What do you mean by salvation here? And how is it a helmet? How does it protect? Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Just over to the right, a few pages. You'll be in 1 Thessalonians 5. And we'll find another clue as to what this helmet of salvation is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. And you should keep your finger here or your little marker. Paul gives us a clue here. For he says, For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night, of the darkness. Verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 5. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. It's battle time. we got to be awake. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. They're drunk at night. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the... What does it say? Hope. The hope of salvation. So what is the helmet? First thing, it's the future hope of salvation. That's what the helmet is. It's the future hope of salvation. Now, when you hear the word hope, automatically what comes to mind is probably something along the lines of wishful thinking, right? I hope Jordan Love turns out to be a good quarterback. I hope the Green Bay Packers can make it to the playoffs. I hope Justin Fields might lead the Bears to a Super Bowl, right? I hope that I get an A on that paper. I hope that I'm sitting next to my friend in class. I hope that that girl likes me. I hope that that boy thinks that I'm cute, right? I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you, right? I hope I could go to Rooted, right? I, I hope, I hope. And many people use the word hope in this way. It's like this subjective feeling that has no guarantee. It's wishful thinking. It's my fingers are crossed, right? That is not biblical hope. Biblical hope or Christian hope is hope is a confident expectation. There is a confidence there. There's an expectation there. There is, it is not wishful thinking. Hope is consequently an expectation or belief in something that is guaranteed, namely God and his promises. God and his promises. Biblical hope is hope in what God will do in the future. It's future oriented. Faith is past oriented, but it also encompasses hope as well. But faith and hope are related, and and hope has to do with future hope of salvation. And so what does that mean for believers? We already are saved, yes, but we're almost home, right? We are almost home. So press on to that blessed shore, we're almost home. We have a hope. We have a real guaranteed. And how do I know this? Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Again, let's finish the passage. It says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, what is this hope of salvation? Verse nine, this is it. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or sleep, we might live with him. Here's your hope, believer. God has not destined you for wrath. But he has destined you. He has planned. He has ordained you to obtain salvation. 
That is a guarantee. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's awesome. That could fuel you now. This is our eager expectation. And the Holy Spirit is actually the down payment. Ephesians 1.13 says the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we will receive that future inheritance. That, that's what Ephesians 1.13 talks about. Just like when you sign up for camp, right? Say so you sign up three months before camp. You, have your, you made your deposit. You paid for it. You have your receipt. You have a guarantee, right? You are going to camp. Camp is in the future, though. It hasn't yet come. But you still have a guarantee. Why? Because the deposit has been paid. Well, the Holy Spirit is that deposit in the life of the Christian. Future hope of salvation is our hope. That is the helmet. Even more than that, we know that hope is not just wishful thinking. And it's not only the Holy Spirit's down payment, but our future hope is tied to a real, present and living person. So what is the helmet? Not only is it a future hope, but it's a person, Jesus Christ. Our hope is tied to a person, Jesus Christ. So there's a future hope, but then also a present reality that Jesus Christ is our hope. So hope always has an object, right? So if you put your hope in Justin Fields to get you, or Jordan Love to get you a Super Bowl, it's probably not a good object to put your faith in. No offense, Packers fans. Because he's probably not going to get you there this year. If you put your, right, hope has an object. But for the Christian, what is that object? Paul states that it is God. It is the God of hope. So he says, Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So hope it comes from God. God is the God of hope. And this God is what Peter calls our living hope because he is risen from the dead, Jesus Christ. There's a song called My Living Hope that talks about this, right? And so our living hope is intrinsically and inseparably tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 3.3 says. And if you are in Christ... This hope, this living hope, is, he says, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So what is your hope? Yes, it's a future hope, but it's also a person, Jesus Christ. He is the head. I am part of the body. Where the head goes, so goes the body, right? And so if Jesus Christ is my head where my hope is lied, if he is raised, then I will raise. If he has conquered death, I will conquer death. If he is in heaven, then I am in heaven because I'm in union with him even right now. There's, there's a reality that where that is true. Ephesians 2 talks about that. That we are so united to Christ that where he is, we are. And where we are, he is. That is our hope. But for those of you that are not attached to Christ by faith, Paul also says in Ephesians 2.13, you're separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Since Christ is the hope, if you are detached from Christ and you're, you're rejecting Christ, then you have no hope because he is our hope. 
You are without God in this world. And so the question is, do you have hope? Do you have a solid, guaranteed foundation in Christ Jesus? And this question, do you have hope, also reveals a third aspect. It means that you may not have it. And it also means that faith is to be received. So the third aspect, what is this helmet? Not only is it a future hope of salvation, it's a person, but it's also a gift. Hope is a gift. And this comes right out of the verse tonight. So go back to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're just looking at our phrase in verse 17. But we always skip over the very, the very first word. What is that very first word that Paul calls us to do? He says, and what? The helmet of salvation. Kick the helmet of salvation. Take, right? Take. That word take is really important because it also can mean receive. So you need to receive. You need to accept the helmet of salvation. You following with me here? So if it's something that you need to receive, then it's something that you don't have. It's something that is given. It is a gift. And it is, it is the helmet of salvation. And we know that salvation is a gift of God that is not earned. And so this gift, this helmet, is not earned. And it comes at the expense of someone else. Right? Because that's what a gift is. Think about it when someone gives you a gift. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. But out of the kindness of their heart, they're giving it to you. For example, tonight we have pancake night, right? Really excited. You're probably hungry. And for all of you new visitors, you should know that Pancake Night is free for you. It is a free gift. I don't know you. I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know what kind of person you are. I know that you are a sinner. And you've done nothing to deserve free pancakes. But as a free gift, not only are you going to receive free pancakes, but everyone here is also going to receive free pancakes tonight, which is true. I'm not joking. So the free gift that Redeemer Church is giving to all of you tonight that you didn't earn is free pancakes for everyone. I'm not lying. I would never lie in the pulpit, all right? That's good news, right? I got some good news for you. Free pancakes for everyone. You don't have to pay a dime, right? But, but, listen, listen, listen. It, doesn't, it is not good news. It is only good news. Only if you actually go to the table and receive it. Otherwise, it means nothing for you. So you're like, yeah, I have the, the helmet of salvation. I know what it is intellectually. But have you taken it? Have you received it? Have you accepted it? Do you have hope in Christ? It is a gift, a free gift. And, and we have a better, I have better news than free pancakes, that free gift, that, that good news is of Jesus Christ. That Titus 2.11 says that for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all. And he brought that salvation how? By living the perfect life that you and I should have lived and dying on the cross, being murdered in your place. Your sin nailed him to the cross and the wrath of God that you deserve poured out on him. And His righteousness now covers you if you receive it by faith, if you take it, if you accept it. But you could be like, yeah, I know Jesus died for my sins, but if you don't receive it, if you don't come to Him, if you don't repent of your sins, it means nothing. You will die in your sins. Do you have hope? Take the helmet of salvation. So you know what it is now. You know what it is. Why do we need it? Point number two. Why do we need it? Why do we need this future hope of salvation? Why do we need Christ? 
Why do we need this gift? Simply put, for protection. For protection. Too many Christians look foolish. They're like a football player running onto the field without their helmet. Who would do that? But sadly, I do that. I run into battle every day. And I'm not taking up the arm. Why? Because I don't think I need protection. We need protection. It's very difficult to forget about wearing shoes to work or to school. Everyone, you have shoes on, right? And you know, as, as soon as you like leave house and you step on a Lego or a rock, as Pastor Gabe mentioned in his sermon, you know you're like, I need to put on shoes, right? It's very hard to forget your shoes. But when it comes to our heads, we never realize we have no protection until it's too late. And the thunderstorm hits and you have no umbrella and you're getting soaked, right? And then you're like, ah, I wish I would have packed that umbrella, right? Or that jacket with a hood on it. Right? We don't realize it until it's too late. We're like football players wearing, not wearing helmets on the field. And we have a terrible habit of that as Christians. When it comes to thinking about our hope and thinking about Christ and the gospel, we think, ah, oh, that's just what saved me. Now I can live the Christian life in my own strength. I can protect myself. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. I got this. No. Because your, your watchtower of your soul is vulnerable. And hope is a mighty defense against three weapons of the enemy that you're going to need. You need the helmet for protection against unbelief. Lies. Lies, lies about God, lies about your sin, that your sin is not that bad, that there's always someone that's more sinful than you. You know, I don't dress too immodestly, right? You know, there's always this, I mean, just go on Instagram, right? There's people that are like half naked, right? So I'm good, right? Lies, right? Or, or lies about, you know, I, I listen to clean version, at least it's not explicit, but, you know, it's not that bad. Lies about Jesus Christ, that maybe he's not an all-sufficient sa savior. Or lies about the pleasures of this world, that you will have fulfillment in them. Lies about sex and sexuality. Attacking our minds. And there we are without our helmet. See, the head is the seat of the mind, which when it has laid hold of the sure gospel of hope, of eternal life, it will not receive false doctrine. See, when your mind is fixated on the hope of the gospel, it's very hard for your mind to be penetrated with false doctrine, with lies. Satan's throwing lies at you. Your heart wants to lie to you. It's deceptive. So unbelief you need protection for, from. But even more than that, you need protection from false hope. False hope. See, Satan, isn't just, he doesn't just want you to not have hope. That is one thing which we'll get to. But if he could take your hope, the object of your hope, and if he could get you to put your hope in something other than Christ Jesus, victory. Victory for the enemy. It's a misplaced hope that he's after. So he may not cause you to despair, but if he can, through the ads that come on your social media platforms or through the world or through your desires, get you to place your hope in objects other than Christ, it will be a deadly blow to your soul. It will. All he has to do is just redirect you. He doesn't need to get you out of the church. He just needs you to have your hope set on your good works rather than Christ's work. If he can get you to rely on your works or to rely, some of you are like, hey, I know I'm going to heaven because I come from a Christian family. Oh, Satan's clapping. He's like, yes, I got them. 
Oh, you come from a Christian family. You go to church. You say your Bible stories. You pray before you go to bed. You take notes. You have all the great answers in life group, right? You put on a smile in front of people. You're, you're the goody tissue, right? And your hope is in your good works. Satan wins. Place your hope there, and there's nothing but misery coming your way. False hopes are damning. And it may not be your good works. It may be riches. Ah, I just had that material thing. If I just had the new Xbox or the new PlayStation, whatever it is, the new game, new clothes, if I could just have that relationship, then I will be fulfilled. You know, I never got affection from my dad, and so I'm going to seek it in boys. And I think that will bring salvation to me or, or, or affection in a woman. False hopes. Those hopes are damning. Psalm 33 hits the nail on the head here in verse 16 about false hope. It says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, and those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. That is your hope. Do not put your hope in worldly, temporary, physical things. No. False hopes will kill you. Set your hope on Christ. The steadfast love of Christ that is immovable. So we have unbelief and false hope, but then also despair. Despair. Satan's ultimate attack. If he could get you to collapse in on yourself and to despair of life itself. It's tragic. But that's what he wants you to do. And you might be there right now. You might, behind the scenes, be in the pit of despair. Despair is dangerous. The psalmists and the psalms, the Christians are people that go through despair sometimes, but not without hope. And so Satan, the enemy, what he loves to do is if you're struggling with depression, despair, anxiety, what he loves to do is take any light that could come in. He just wants to quench it. He wants to keep you in the darkness. That's what he wants. Despair. It just suffocates you. It's like you're in a room that you can't get out. You're drowning, right? You're and despair has trapped many believers over the years. And the Bible's chock full of them. But it is in those moments that you need to put your helmet on like Job did. You know the book of Job? If you're in the pit of despair, you should go and read the book of Job tonight. He's a blameless, upright man. He's wealthy. He has family. He has fields. He's rich. And Satan comes and he takes it all away. God is in control. He allows Satan to do this because Satan is trying to get him to despair and to say, God, you are not good. And to get him to curse God and die. And so he takes all of this away. He even attacks his physical body with sickness. But what does Job do? He, he puts his helmet on and he says this in Job 13:5, Though you slay me, I will hope in him. That's the Christian's call right there. Though I am suffering worse than anyone who has ever suffered, little did he know Christ would suffer worse. Though you slay me, yet I will hope in you. My hope is not vanquished. John Piper, he was a pastor, and he was in a car ride with this man. And uh, he's a member of his church, and I believe that on the way there, or even before, The man got a phone call, and he was told that his son had died in the car. And so John Piper's in the car, and he's talking about the 
the, the purpose and the reason for memorizing gospel-saturated verses. And he's telling this story how he's in the car. He's like, there's, there's just, how do, I, how do I encourage him? And there's one verse that just came to mind that I had memorized, and it was 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And he said it over and over to this man who was battling despair. He said, for God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live in Him. I love how he goes to that passage. He, he takes despair and then he runs to the hope, the future hope that we have in Christ. That is our antidote. Put your helmet on. That's what it looks like to be wearing the helmet. We are at war, brothers and sisters. And we need protection from lies, idolatry, and despair. And God has provided that in Christ. So, lastly, how do we use the helmet? We see what the helmet is. We see why we need it. But how do we use the helmet? Okay? How do we use the helmet? I got three things. And they have to do with our head, our heart, and our hands. Okay? Application here. How do we use the helmet? First, Frequently fill your mind with the present and future hope of salvation. You need to be preaching to yourself the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to have verses on hand when, when you are tempted with despair, when you're tempted with sin, to remind yourself of what is true. Your mind is the watchtower of your soul. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, or I think it's 1 Corinthians 5, I didn't put the reference here. He says, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so here, your thoughts are wanting to capture you, to make you captive. But Paul is saying here that we are to take every thought that enters into our mind captive. How? With the word of God. With the word of God, in order for it to obey Christ. So what does it look like to take your thoughts captive? Philippians 4.8 tells us. It says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, think about those things. Not just on Sundays, not just on Mondays. You need to be filling your mind with gospel truth. My mom used to always say to me, garbage in, garbage out. What you take in is going to come out. So if you're listening to, to, to garbage, to sexually explicit content, watching sexually explicit content that you know you should not be watching to or indulging in worldly sinful things, don't. Be surprised when you find yourself in deep despair, pride, and temptation. You are inviting the very things that nailed Christ onto the cross, sin, into your life. That is what you're doing. Garbage in, garbage out. Flirting with and enjoying worldly things. Don't invite sin. Meditate on things that are true, that are right, that are pure, that are noble, that are lovely. Fill your minds. Second, hope. How does it affect our heart? How do we use hope? Hope is spiritual fuel for bold living. I love this. And you know this is to be true. 
The power of hope is very practical, okay? Even just a little bit of change, a little bit of hope can change the entire tide of a war, right? It's, it's like Gotham City is under complete control, right? There's despair. Bane is, is destroying the town. This bomb's going to go off until what happens? The thing, the, the bat symbol comes up in the air, right? And they're like, hope, right? It emboldens. That's what it does. Hope was lost when Harry Potter was being carried by the Death Eaters after the Battle of Hogwarts. You remember that scene? Harry Potter is dead, Voldemort explained. Followed by laughs and jeers of the Death Eaters behind him, right? Mocking the the good guys, right? (laughs) And then he says, join us or die. Join us or die. Look, you're a hero, he's dead. Join us or die. And, and I think that that's what Satan tells you on a regular daily basis. Join me or die. Look at these Christians. They're suffering. Look at the people in the world. They're loving life. Look, they, they, get, to, they get to just splurge and, and go after whatever they want. They look so happy. Join me or die, right? Become a martyr. Leave the faith. Leave Christ. He isn't faithful. He's dead. Right? Hope is lost, and that is until Harry suddenly resurrects from the dead. Right, And in that moment, I love Voldemort's face because he's filled with fear. And all of his Death Eaters behind, they start to leave. They start to run. And then, and then hope, in that moment, fuels the, the, the army right, to win the war. The resurrected Harry Potter fuels them to win the war. Interesting themes there so much for witchcraft right i think there's some deeper gospel themes there we have a much greater resurrection friends a much greater hope in christ jesus who isn't a fictional character but rose from the dead he is alive today and in that he promises future salvation and we know he will come through with it because he is risen he even says if in christ we have hope in this life only we are all If Christ did not raise from the dead, Paul says, we are of all most people to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in all atoms, all die. Also in Christ, all shall be made alive. Believe it. Stay standing. You have a hope. Keep going. Keep running, right? So hope is spiritual fuel. It's spiritual steroids, if you will, for the mission. You need it to keep going, to keep standing. That's why it's practical. And lastly, hope is our message. Hope is our message. So now we're taking it to other people. We are to be a people of hope, with a message of hope, to a hopeless world that is dying and going to hell. Therefore, students, wear the helmet of salvation. To do that is to publicly proclaim that I am a soldier of the king and I have a message of hope for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8-9, let me read it again. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of hope of salvation, for Christ, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might, we might live in Him, live with Him. Therefore, what are we to do with this hope? Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 
You have a responsibility, believer, to put on the helmet of hope, of salvation, and to go and encourage your fellow brothers to keep going, to put their hope in Jesus Christ. And you have a role and a responsibility to take the message of hope to your friends that don't know Jesus. And some of you are here tonight. You have no hope, but I'm giving you the message of hope. Will you come and receive it by faith? Will you take part in it? Or will you die in your sins? And will you stand idly by, Christian, as your friends die in their sins when you carry the message of hope and yet you will not give it? Put on the helmet of salvation. It's time to go to war. One of my favorite time things in, a, in watching a football game is when the other team like throws an interception and, and it puts the other team back in the, in the game and the quarterback comes on and he puts on his helmet and he's going to war. He's going to work. And it's time for that. It's time to, to put the helmet on and to begin bringing the message of hope to people. We've become too insulated and isolated and all about us. No. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, there is a song, and I know it well, a melody that's never failed. On mountains high and valleys low, my soul will rest my confidence in you alone. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. My Savior's cross has set the sinner free. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Oh, Christ be praised. I have victory. Father, you are the God of hope. And we know this hope has come in a person in Jesus Christ. And you have clothed us if we are in Christ. We believe we have hope and we're called to continue to utilize that hope in our life. Thank you that we are not people who, fingers crossed, I hope it works out. No, it is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Father, there are many who are trapped in the enemy's lies. Free them from their bondage, from their slavery to sin by the power of the gospel. May they come to see hope in Christ Jesus and help us to be a people who wear the helmet proudly, proudly as sons and daughters of the King. In Jesus' name, amen.